Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. You know Soros and Steyer, Buffett and Bloomberg, but you may not be familiar with one of the most important left-of-center billionaires of them all, Pierre Amadier, the founder of eBay. Through vehicles such as the Democracy Fund and its affiliated social welfare Democracy Fund Voice, Amadier supports left-of-center and anti-populist causes to the tune of millions of dollars per year that are increasingly in alignment with the Democratic Party. Joining me to discuss Amadier and his advocacy philanthropy is my Capital Research Center colleague Hayden Ludwig who has written a five-part series for capitalresearch.org on Amadeir's political machine. Uh, Hayden, welcome back to the Influence Watch podcast. Always good to be with you. So tell us a bit about Pierre Amadeir. What's his background? How did he make his money? Well, um, you probably know Amidiar is the founder of eBay back in the 1990s, which is where he earned all of his wealth. He's one of the tech billionaires that actually survived the dot-com bubbles and came out pretty successful on the other side less well-known as his private life. So he was born to Iranian immigrants living in Paris in the 60s, but pretty much grew up in the United States. So Pierre, right, taking from his from his uh, mm-hmm. similar sound to his real name, which is Parviz Omidyar. And uh, he basically worked in the tech sector as a young guy and then had this brilliant idea of running a little auction site on his personal website back in the 90s which there's a famous story of how eBay got started. Some guy selling a broken laser pointer for like 15 bucks on his website. And Omidyar couldn't believe that anybody would want to buy that sort of thing. So it's like, it's like the dollar, like the dollar bill on the wall of the, of the, of the, um, you know, little hole in the wall restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So this little, you know, personal auction website thing that he had going, and remember this is the early nineties, mid nineties. Nobody was doing this sort of thing yet eventually became an, a full business where he charged fees for it and, and it grew overnight and, and expanded and became this massive empire. Uh, and he earned his fortune there. Well, fast forward to around 2004 when Pierre and his wife Pam started their own foundation. And from that point on, they seem to have gotten really invested in funding increasingly political causes. Yeah. So when does he? So how does he get into ad, this advocacy, philanthropy, this ideological giving? Uh, and what were some of his earlier projects? We call this the Omidyar Nexus. It's just our term for the about half a dozen or so organizations that are that are directly funded by or affiliated with um, Pierre Omidyar himself. And there's kind of two halves to this. There's the Omidyar Network. Not to be confused with the Nexus. Just similar. Yeah, the Omidyar Network is actually the name of a group that Omidyar funds and I believe runs? Yeah, uh, I believe he's on the board of all these organizations, but he certainly funds it. And that's a foundation we're talking about. And that basically does give to some political causes, but primarily it's a true foundation. It gives to, you know, healthcare research and scientific kind of causes. It's not it's not especially objectionable, but it's the much larger of the two uh, kind of groups. On the other side, we have a pair of groups called the Democracy Fund, which is a private foundation. And the Democracy Fund Voice, you alluded to these groups earlier, because Democracy Fund Voice has the unusual thing of being a 501c4 social welfare organization attached to a private foundation. And these organizations are where most of the money that goes to political causes seems to run through. And he started this about a decade after starting the Omidyar Network and its its various associations. So we can see him getting more and more involved in funding left of center political causes this way. Now, 
You mentioned in your piece that his groups issued a call to reimagine capitalism at some point. What What is that? What was that? Who's aligned with it? You should think of Omidyar as kind of a lesser well-known George Soros. They have similar kinds of worldviews, not identical, but kind of that, and I don't particularly like this term, but kind of that globalist transnational way of looking at um, you know, hey, capitalism and markets are really good for generating revenue, but they but they produce all sorts of social injustices. So we need to use social engineering tactics and lots and lots of money to kind of coerce and prod people into, you know, being the kind of Westerners that we want them to be. Sort, sort of Cass, Cass Sunstein's nudge theory. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's not it's not socialist. It's not heavy top down government. Rather, it's it's kind of what you think when you think of all the big tech billionaires. You know, it's it's using softer ways like like Twitter, etc., to kind of nudge people in the quote unquote right direction. So their idea of reimagining capitalism, this is one of the thing that the kind of areas that that uh, all of the Omidyar groups fund. And you know, when it comes down to specifics, they've talked about um, they basically talked about how they can move the idea of Western capitalism to to produce less income inequality and to, you know, to combat homelessness and these kinds of ideas, or, or even, you know, minority run businesses and LGBTQ membership on company boards of directors. And this kind of broadly left of center, let's implement our vision of America's future by, you know, funding all of these groups that are put, that put shareholder activism pressure on mm-hmm. private companies. And, you know, that's- so, there's, so there's a lot of ESG, sort of work that goes on in this in this space? I believe so. And now it's not done directly by the Omidyar groups, but that's because these are foundations. They primarily exist to pump out money into organizations that do do that kind of ESG activism. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how does Omidyar's advocacy philanthropy network, the, the Omidyar nexus, uh, you call it, how does that interact with the broader left-wing funding universe? Well, you know, we're very familiar with it, CRC, at talking about how there's really not just one George Soros, right? There's a bunch of them. Usually they have a foundation or certainly some kind of nonprofit attached to them. So you can think of Omidyar as being one big cog in that universe alongside, well, Soros, but certainly the Ford Foundation and other different groups like that. Um, basically, this guy funds all sorts of different organizations that are going to be involved in political causes related to elections, for instance. So one of the Mm -hmm. the big organizations on the left is the Democracy Alliance. And the Democracy Alliance is this who's who convening for essentially every major influential funder on the left and activist group. And the whole idea is the Democracy Alliance doesn't move money. It coordinates its various members to figure out how they're going to spend money. Literally literally the room where it happens (laughs) for left of center funding. You know, everybody, everybody goes to the conference and talks about what they need to do to advance left progressivism. That's exactly right. Now, we know that at least a number of Omidyar network representatives have have attended Democracy Alliance functions. So we know that there's some connection there, although the degree is not clear. However, we know that the kind of groups that Democracy Alliance recommends be funded, we know that we can find Omidyar money going there. Uh, So examples would be uh, like the the um, organization's voter participation center and center for civic Infor- I'm sorry center for voter information. These are similarly named sister groups that were heavily involved mm-hmm. in the 2020 election in basically mailing out uh, 
tens of millions of voter registration applications and applications for people to vote by mail so that they could build a universe of likely voters, especially in battleground states and especially in blue-leaning areas in those battleground states. So we know groups like this that that are that are partisan, they claim to be nonpartisan, but their activities actually do aim at tar- turning out democratic sort, sort of like sort of like the zuck box that you know it's nominally nonpartisan but the impact strongly indicates an ideological favor yeah i don't know who they're fooling we all know it and they all know it i think but but yeah exactly it's nonpartisan only in the most legalese sense but everybody can understand that it's certainly ideological and intended especially in the case of the voter participation center we found direct evidence um, saying, setting this, that this group was set up to, uh, you know, be officially nonpartisan for tax purposes, but in reality is just another tool for the Democratic Party to push turnout when well, that's partisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how does, so where does the Funders Committee for Civic Participation come in? You, you write quite a bit on them in your in your piece. So uh, Piero Midiar's groups, the Democracy Fund in particular, uh, is a member of this Funders Committee for Civic Participation. Now, what the heck is that? The Funders Committee is actually not a real nonprofit. It's a front for a pretty well-known pass-through called neo-philanthropy. Well-known to us, I should say. And this is just kind of like the Tides Foundation in that it's an organization that exists to move money from anonymous donors to other political groups. So, so it's like it's like Tides Foundation or the New Venture Fund or Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Yeah, this sort of thing that people are starting to get more familiar with uh, this, you know, pass through kind of thing. But the main function of the Funders Committee is kind of like the Democracy Alliance. It itself doesn't really move money. Rather, it's a it sets up an annual convening for major funders on the left, and this includes all of the big names, Omidyar's groups included, to get together and strategize about how they're going to spend money. Democracy Alliance is more focused on winning elections. The Funders Committee is a little more, uh, it's a few degrees removed from direct elections. There are a few, there are a few different prongs to the strategy. The main one is Um, Every 10 years, the U.S. conducts a census, right? And after the census is determined, we figure out how to remap all of the congressional districts and state legislative districts. It's called the redistricting process, and we just went through it. And and before you even draw draw districts, you have to apportion the congressional seats between the state, between and among the states. Which is done by the Census Bureau. So that's that's a government activity, but it's obviously inherently political because we're talking about drawing districts that candidates run for. Well, the Funders Committee um, was ha- highly involved in trying to effectively privatize the Census Bureau's work in getting out the count. That's a, that's a real quote, G-O-T-C, kind of like get out the vote, G-O-T-V, mm-hmm. in particular states. And those states are Democratic-controlled states like California, New York, and Illinois that bled population in the last 10 years. Well, their goal was pretty simple. Boost population, uh, I'm sorry, boost returns in the Census Bureau um, by getting people to respond to the Census Bureau forms. So they funded all sorts of groups that went around to areas with, frankly, likely Democratic voters in places like Chicago and made sure that they responded to the Census Bureau. And that in itself isn't necessarily problematic. The problematic part is when the Census Bureau recently announced in the last few months that it had overcounted uh, some states and undercounted some states, which would have made the difference of probably two to three congressional seats, at least one to two. It's not really clear. And if you look at the states that they were undercounted, almost all of them were Republican-controlled states in the South and the West. And the states that were overcounted were almost all Democratic states in the North and Northeast. 
Well, I would say that's the Funders Committee's impact after spending who knows, but but many millions doing mm. that. That's one of the activities they're doing. The other activities they're involved in are pushing voter registration. Now, this is not just voter registration of anybody anywhere. This is targeted, micro-targeted voter registration, the types that political campaigns engage in. Turning to a battleground state like North Carolina, going to a place like, let's say, Raleigh-Durham, where a lot of likely Democratic voters could be found who are not yet registered, and using nonprofits in that area to target those voters with seriously well-funded voter registration and then get out the vote campaigns. So this is as partisan an activity as you can get, and that's the entire point of the Funders Committee. It's like setting up all the infrastructure that a party needs to win. Well, that's what Piero Midior's foundation is directly involved in. So what are, uh, in addition to this sort of broader, uh, you know, civic participation uh, work, what what else is are the policy areas that Amidiar's groups are really seriously interested in? Hmm. Well, you know, I would say there, there's definitely the environmental angle. I would say the election side is the biggest, but you can find him effectively funding all of these different things. Um, the other side would be abortion, funding some Planned Parenthood and related groups like that. But I would say in the main, uh, what, we's, uh, what we've observed is how the Omidyar nexus has moved huge amounts of money. I forget the exact number, but we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in grants. And a huge percentage of that has gone into groups that are all about turning out the vote or turning out the census count or simply identifying likely Democratic voters or all sorts of different things like that. So, you know, it's stuff that, that frankly, no private foundation, these are taxing them groups, remember, should be engaged in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then would you say, because, you know, I first became aware of Amidiar before Donald Trump ran for president. Uh, So sort of 2012 to 14, maybe early 15 before uh, before, uh, Trump announced his campaign. And back then he was a liberal, but he was a sort of heterodox liberal. You know, he'd fund, a, you know, he fund the Democracy Fund and fund a few scholars on the right. Henry Olson, I think at one point, uh, got some money from Democracy Fund. Uh, you know, he funded uh, The Intercept, the left-wing uh, online publication that was uh, Glenn Greenwald's project for a while before he left. It seems to me that over from about mid 2015 to now, uh, Omidyar has his giving and his advocacy has become much more in line with the sort of democratic establishment. Is that would you would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, we've definitely seen. I mean, just in the last in the last twenty years since the guy set up nonprofits to move money through. It's become more political, and as it's become more political, it's become increasingly um, to the left of center. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you bring up Trump. That That is interesting. I, I did look into a lot of the things that Omidyar himself has said about Trump, and of course, it's nothing, nothing flattering, as you'd expect. But I've noticed, like you said, in the last five years, I've seen that the leftward trajectory take off. Uh, the Intercept's a good example, actually. So The Intercept is 
it actually does some pretty good investigative journalism, um, though it does, I would say, it does have something of a an ideological bias to the left. I, I, I'd say it's an like it's it's like the New Republic or the Nation. It's you know whatever it produces in terms of reporting, it is an ideological publication. Yeah, exactly. They've they've actually I I haven't followed them super closely, but I know that they've changed direction and gone even a little further to the left even since it was founded, I think around 2013, Glenn Greenwald is certainly no conservative, certainly no moderate. Yeah. And, and, and I know like Greenwald disassociated with them, but that was because he thought that they were getting too in line with the national security state, which Greenwald is a longstanding critic of Yeah, and, um, and from the, from the progressive left. And the, and he, and part of the reason he left too was, was um, the organization's, if I have this right, it was it was over a refusal to run an article that was critical of Joe Biden when he was still running for president in 2020. And I remember reading that specifically, that that he was concerned, rightly concerned that, well, hang on a minute, we're not going to attack the left if we're going to attack the right. Isn't that the whole point of honest investigative journalism? So, well, that's an organization that was set up 